The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Good to have you with us. Uh, it's good to see the sanctuary uh, more full than it has been in a while. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you this morning. As we are getting ready to do our message this morning, if you're visiting with us for the first time or it's been a while, uh, we are continuing to pray for our sister churches and our Baptist Association. We have about 50 churches, what's called the Clay Platt, Clay County, Platt County Baptist Association. We're just going ABCD all the way through. You see on the screen there, Northern Hills Baptist Church. You wouldn't know where that's at, up in uh, Holt. A few hands up there. Uh, it's kind of between Holt and Kearney, uh, up on the northern Clay County line. Uh, Pastor Jonathan Hayashi and I have known each other for several years, and he just started a few uh, months ago in the pandemic, and I asked him, I said, Brother, how can we pray for you this week? This is what he wrote. He said, please pray as we reopen and get back to normal, whatever that is, that we will be gospel-driven and people will enter the kingdom of God. And that's as simple as that. So that's what we're going to pray for our sister church. So we're going to pray for our church as well, that whatever we do, we, we want to honor Christ. We want to bring people to Christ. We want to grow them in Christ. That's what it's all about, right? And we're also going to pray this morning, too, for, um, for our Southern Baptist Convention. This next week and a half, you're probably going to see the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC for short, on the news. It's the annual gathering in a week, uh, a week and a half, actually, uh, nine days from now when they get together. So if you see anything about SBC on the news, that's us. But there may be things that you say, ooh, that's us? Or, whoa, that's us? Yes. Welcome to a family. Welcome to a family of sinners that are here to praise God. And we're going to pray for our convention. That's more national level stuff, but it impacts you because this is where it happens each and every week. And we're also, uh, brother, we are going to pray for Brother Doug this morning. Doug, uh, we did not put this out on email. Doug Hager and his team were going to uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana. That got canceled because the work is done. And that's actually a, a good thing, right? So uh, that's a good thing. I told him I, I'm glad to see him, but I wish he were working too because I know he was ready to prep to go. But brother, we're, we're going to pray for their work down there as well as we continue to see God work through disaster relief. So welcome, guys. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads and we'll go before our Lord before we enter our time of study with the CERN. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you, we thank you for the word of God that we gather around. Father, every part of our our worship service, from the honoring of the graduates to the dedication of the babies to everything in between, we have sought and want to do for the glory of God. Yet, Lord, especially during this time as we study your word, not any word, Father, not the words of men, though they were carried along perfectly, inerrantly inspired by the Spirit, Lord, yet these are your words, the words you have given us, the very words from your mouth. So, Lord, as we pray for our sister church in Northern Hills and Pastor Jonathan and his congregation, we pray that your word would drive their decisions, their, their, their evangelism, their ministry, their, their growing in closer to each other, and their living out of the gospel. Father, we pray for our convention, the Southern Baptist Convention. We pray that the word would indeed guide conversations, that forgiveness would be extended and received, that unity would be formed around the things that really do matter. That, Lord, our, our support for our missionaries, both, both abroad and, and domestic, would be, would be the uh, trigger point by which we go forward as a denomination. Lord, we pray for wisdom for those serving in those capacities. 
Father, we thank you for Brother Doug and, and his team that were willing to go this, uh, what would have been this week to, to Louisiana to serve. Thank you that work there is, is being accomplished in the disaster relief sense. And yet, Lord, as, as that, that push continues, there's even more work to be done spiritually. And Lord, as they work in that area with, with uh, several instances of need of recovery, Father, that you would use local Christians down there to minister the word of God. And Lord, we pray that here as well. Lord, that as a church, that as we grow together, as we reopen slowly things, as we work on the Children's Center, as we pray for all the things that we know about we have ahead of us, it's your will be done, not ours. It's your leading, not ours. It's your plans, not ours. We submit it all to you. Father, as we study, as we look to your return, may you be lifted high, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, or if you don't have, I haven't said this in a long time. If you have a pew Bible, that's why I grabbed this one, actually. You can turn with us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We are in what I believe is our ninth installment of the um, series we've been doing through 1 Thessalonians called Countercultural. It's page 987 in your pew Bible, if you have that blue Bible in front of you. And I, I, this is the first time I've done a PowerPoint in about 15 months, so it's about as bare bones as a first grader putting it together. So if you're coming for the PowerPoint art or the clip art from the 90s, uh, you're not going to be oud and awed today. Uh, so too bad. That's how we roll. But I do want you to be ooh and awed by the Word of God, not the preacher, but the, 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 the words that we're going to speak, because these are the words that many people know well. And I'm not here today to give you an end times theology. I'm not here today to tell you when exactly Christ is going to return. I'm not here today to settle that debate. What I am here today is to point you to who is coming, and his name is Jesus. That we know for sure. And what we are going to look at today are familiar words to many of you, but words that we need to be reminded of, as this church needed to be reminded of. Let me just, as we, before we read, let me just remind you, this church was in the midst of persecution. Paul was actually let out. You recall several weeks ago was let out as we read through it, the walls of the city because they were coming after him. They had arrested Jason, one of their uh, congregation members in Thessalonica, a Greek city, and now they were going after Paul. And Paul was in the midst of persecution. And he was with them about three weeks, about three or so weeks. And he was teaching them time and time again. And yet in three weeks, they absorbed and lived out more teaching of God's word than some of the churches Paul had for years that he was with. Yet in three weeks, they were getting so excited about the return of Christ. And rightfully so, amen? We should be. If there's one thing we de-emphasize most, it's probably the return of Christ and the ascension of Christ theologically. But they were getting so excited about the, the return of Christ. Everything else in the Christian life wasn't so important. It's like a kid when they see that present and they forget to go up and say thank you. It was good to see you. All those uh, you know, social things we're supposed to do at parties. It's, they were so focused on it. They were so excited about it. Everything else kind of went away. There is a phrase that we know that you can be so heavenly minded you can be no earthly good. And that is true to some degree. But we also need to live in this world. So as we looked at last week, how do we live in this world in anticipation of Christ's return, yet excited about it, yet looking forward to it? Because guys, that's what it's about. That's what we're coming to. That is our Savior coming again. If you're able to this morning, we, we've done this in times past, you're able to this morning, would you join us in standing in the honor of God's word as we read it together? We'll start in verse 13, be reading out of the ESV, the Pew Bible. Uh, it's been here for several years now. Uh, hard to believe. We just donated a lot of Bibles to uh, some local ministries, and uh, it's amazing how long these things have held up. But praise God, God's Word always holds up, right? It's always a good thing. Let's read together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13, down to the end of the chapter. Paul writes this, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, 
about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. 4 verse 15, this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then verse 17, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Love it. If you are an underliner, you can highlight this, underline this, bold, italics, whatever you need to do. This is stuff to hang on to. All the word is, but especially this part. Let's go before our Lord, and we will jump right back to where we started last week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Again, it's not just the word of men. It's not just the, the, the politicizing of the day. It's not the headlines. It's not whatever else comes on the radio or on our, our phones. Lord, this is your eternal word. Father, it is applicable to every time, place, people, and nation. It is always going to be with us. And Lord, we look forward to the day when you do return to take us home. We know not the day or the hour, Lord, but we know that you are the Lord of the day and the Lord of the hour. And so we look forward and we trust you for your timing. Lord, give us wisdom now as we seek to live out in light of your coming the things you put before us. We pray these things and we ask them in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Guys, may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, there was a gardener in a large estate in northern Italy. I've never been to Italy before. I imagine it's very beautiful. Some of you have been there. But he was conducting a visitor through a tour of the castle on the well-groomed grounds of the day. And as the visitor had lunch with the gardener and his wife, he asked him, he said, well, why is it so beautiful here? And why is it such that you keep up all this work, all this time, and all this thing? And how long has it been since your master has been here? He said, my master has not been here for 10 years. And the visitor asked him, why do this garden every year? Why keep up this lovely garden? And the gardener said, because I'm expecting him to return any moment. And the guy laughed and he said, are you serious? Is he coming back next week, tomorrow? When do you know he's coming back? And the gardener got soft in his speech and he said this, I don't know when he's coming, but I expect him to come. And when he comes, I want to be ready. Now you're Christians. I don't need to fill in that blank or illustrations, do I? I think you understand who that's talking about. But it is almost certainly not the case with most Christians. Most Christians don't think enough about the return of Christ. Let's just be honest. In churches about 20, 30 years ago, the charts that spread out over dispensationalism, over uh, mid-tribism, over all these different views of the end times, overwhelm people so much that instead of talking about Christ's return, instead of being excited about it, we just kind of put it off to the side. But friends, he is coming again. And we don't think about it enough. We don't live in light of it enough. And we aren't eagerly awaiting it enough. And we apathetically love this world so much that we forget that he really is coming again. I mean, are we like those in 2 Peter 3 that said this? That said, where's the day of the Lord? If he's coming, where's he at? Come on now. 2 Peter 3 reminds us of this. That the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done will be exposed. 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10. That is our Lord's coming. 
Now, there have been guesses about the Lord's coming. Jehovah's Witnesses said in 1918 that Jesus was going to come back. Well, he didn't come back, so it became an invisible return. There have been people who have dated Jesus' return all the time. That's not what we're here to do. And if someone does, run far away. Be careful. We don't pin the tail on the Antichrist. We don't pin the tail on the return of Christ. We look longingly for the coming of Christ. And so are we in the last days, friends? We've been in the last days since Jesus ascended back to heaven. We know that is the last days. Yet there are times and signs and comings that we know that will proceed. But I have no idea when he's coming, and neither do you. But one thing we know is that he is coming. And that's what we unite around. So God may be arranging the world scene for the last act of history. Do you know? I don't know. But I know that he is coming, and that's what we trust in. Do you know him? Do you know him truly? Do you know him really? And if you do know him, are you living like you know him? I mean, are you living in light of the Lord's coming? If your boss were to walk in in the old days, you office workers, white-collar workers, and you were on Facebook, you quickly alt-tabbed out so you could not be seen and get back to your work's computer. You know how it is. Or wise, if you're looking on your phone at things uh, that you want to buy in, in your home and your husband comes in, you quickly get back to all those things you're preparing for the meal for the next week, right? Because that's how life works. But friends, our Savior is coming, and he's coming again, and we need to be ready. And our big idea, it's on, our big idea, it's a summary of the sermon, the thesis, if you will, is simply this. The personal hope of the Bible that it holds out most abundantly for Christians is not rapture, but resurrection. Our hope is not just to get out of this world. Our hope is that we will be like Christ, that we will have his body, that we will have everything that he's promised us in heaven. And so last week, and I told you, it's an elementary thing. Amy's, gonna, Amy's, Amy's fresh back to this, but we, we looked at three things last week. How do we live in light of this? We noted in verses 9 through 12, these three quick things, and Amy, you just throw them all up there. It's one click, I believe, is we are to love other believers in waiting for Christ's return. We are to live in the midst of unbelievers and we are to live in a way that separates us from unbelievers. Those were the first three verses that we looked at. And Paul said, if you're doing these things, if you're living out these things, then you are actively waiting for Christ's return in a way that honors him. But this morning, we need to look at exactly what Christ's return is going to look at. We're not going to nuance everything. We don't have time or space. But I want you to know what Paul told these people. Because they were excited about the return of Christ, as should we be. But in doing so, they often let their enthusiasm overtake the reality of what God had called them to do right in front of their midst. So let's get right into it. We're in point number four, and Amy will put that up, is that if we're going to live in light of the last days, we need to know what God's purposes are in the cross. God's purposes in the cross. Look at verse 14. Don't miss this. He told them in verse 13, they don't want to be uninformed. They don't need to be like those who, are, who have fallen asleep. But he says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him all those who've fallen asleep. Look, before you can believe in the return of Christ, you have to believe in the cross of Christ. Do you see that? This is Christianity 101. You believe. Paul doesn't even question it here. He assumes that the cross, that what Jesus did when he died, he took the wrath of God on that cross, is foundational to everything else. That's why at this church, Tower of you, I'll remind you, we want to be gospel-centered. We don't want to be end-time-centered. We don't want to be philosophy of minister-centered. We don't want to be worship-centered. Those are all fine and good. We want to be gospel-centered. Because what is it that we must believe most fundamentally? You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, and a great Savior came to save such great sinners such as us. That's it. And it's in Christ alone. I want you to note that here. He says, since we believe that Jesus died, 
Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Krishna. You know the list. I say this about every week. But Christ died. And not only did he die, but he what? He rose again. Yeah, you got to believe that. You have to believe that truth. Before you can believe he's coming again, you have to acknowledge that he has risen again. And so he says here that he rose again. But not only is belief in the cross is, is, is required, it says, notice the object here again. He says, even so through Jesus. Even so through Jesus. Acts 4.12, there's no un- name under heaven by which we are saved except that of who? Jesus Christ. John 14.6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not I am a way, not I am a truth, not I am a life, but I am the way, the truth, the life. Note that. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for good works alone. Did you note that there? Before Paul gets to the coming of Christ, he talks about the gospel. Because look, if you had every sign figured out, you had every date pinned down about the return of Christ, and you're not more excited about what Jesus did for you on the cross, you've completely missed the whole of the New Testament. The gospel's here, the return's here, important as it is. Do you know that creation bows at the gospel of Jesus Christ? We try to figure out, was it a literal seven days? Was it millions of days? Is it a young earth? Is it an old earth? Those are important questions to ask. They impact a lot of what you believe. When's Jesus come back? Is it going to be before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation? Is he even going to come back visibly? Great questions to ask. But all that bows down to comparison in this one thing. I was a sinner, and Christ died for my soul. That's it. That's why churches who split, members who leave, denominations who emphasize the return of Christ over the gospel of Christ have missed what Paul said. Note what he says. The gospel comes first. Don't let that be what you miss. Because he goes on to say, God will, look at the end of verse uh, 14, he says, God will bring those who are asleep. Who's he referring to? He's referring to those who've died. Asleep is another word for dies. I think most of you know that. Asleep here is just simply another way to say they've died. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For those who passed in Christ, what is their hope? He's coming again. For your loved ones who've passed in Christ at the funeral, what is your hope? That they have trusted in Jesus Christ and you will see them again because of Christ. Don't you just love it? It's all because of Christ. It's not because we willed it up. It's not because we got all the ducks in a row. He comes when he comes, and we're saved only because of Christ. Everything goes back to him. Church, never lose that focus. Never lose that focus. It's all on Jesus Christ. That's it. So I want to ask you this morning, as you're looking for the return of Christ, have you considered once again what Christ has actually done for you in the cross of Christ, in the resurrection Because how does your belief about the finished work of Christ inform how you see the end times? It really does matter. Look at verse 15. Not only living in light of these days must we look to the cross of Christ, but we also must, fifthly, understand how the living and the dead factors in this. Look back at verse 15. It gets a little more detailed here, but bear with me. We can get there. He says in verse 15, he says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Now, there's a lot of people. Stop right there. There's a lot of people who walk around. Say, I have a word from the Lord. I have a brother in here who we served in the streets of Westport for many years, and there's a local uh, organization in town called IHOP. Not the pancakes, but the prayer place. International House of Prayer down in Grandview. People literally sell everything they have and move to Grandview, Missouri. Maybe you should do that too. Grandview is a beautiful place, I hear. 
That's kind of a joke, kind of not. It's a good place. But we'd meet some of the representatives, and they'd come out every week and say, I had a word from the Lord. And, and we'd say, okay, show it to me in here. Well, God didn't tell me anything in his word. I had a dream, and only I had this dream, and only I know what this means. Well, does it match up with what's in here? And they couldn't tell you. Guys, if you want to hear God speak, open your Bible and read it out loud. It really does work. This is God's word. He says, we have a word of the Lord for you. What is it? He goes on to tell you. Here's what it is. He says that we who are alive, who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. The word is this, is that Christ is coming, but those who died get first dibs on returning with Christ. To put it easily, they're the first in the buffet line, if you want to put it in really Baptist terms. But we are to live in the work of Christ. Our work is right now. Our work is not trying to figure out where we're in line of coming with Christ until Jesus comes home. Our mission is the same. What is it? Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all creatures, nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's what we're called to do. But so many times, and I've been here, I've read the books, I remember being a teenager reading the Left Behind series books and getting so enthused on that, I was so focused on Christ's return that I wasn't focusing on what God was doing right here. And you can do both. Don't focus on the timing so much of Jesus' return, just keep at the mission until he returns. Rather than focusing, we ought to focus on the God-given mission. What is that? Is that people need Jesus. They need to know him. They need to grow in him. They need to be a part of him. But the greatest obstacle to evangelism is Christians who don't share the gospel. That's often the greatest obstacle to what's here. So we live in the hope of Christ now. Yeah, the ones who are in the grave, the bodies in the grave, they will go first. They will be first with Christ when he returns. And someone suggested that's because they have six feet further to go. No, the resurrection occurs. The f I was actually in a commentary I read, by the way. True story. I won't tell you who it was. But the dead in Christ will live first, rise first. Well, where are they now? Friends, when you die, you go immediately into the presence of God. If you're in Christ, there's not a limbo state. There's not, as Pastor Nelson rightly pointed out a couple weeks ago, there's not some soul sleep where you just kind of go whoosh, nap and poof, you know, like some sci-fi movie where you sleep through the galaxy and they wake you up on the other side of hyperspeed. That's not Bible, that's Hollywood. When you die you immediately go to the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, immediately. Now, there is a transitionary period that the Bible doesn't describe much in detail, but until Christ's return, we are not fully together with the body of Christ because some are alive here and, and their spirits are up there with Christ. Equally, if you're not a Christian, you go out from this world into the presence of Christ, but in judgment. There is heaven, there is hell, there is one death. But he says, look, we have hope, we have hope now because we can live for him now, but if we die, we're still with him then. Isn't that awesome? A double guarantee. If you could walk off any car sales lot with a guarantee that you'd have a car if it died in 15 years and they give you a new one, wouldn't you sign up for that deal? Well, guys, you got to be a better deal than that. And he doesn't renege on his promise. He's coming again. And if you're living or if you're dead, you're still part of his. Look at verse 16. So let's see how this all shakes out. Verse 16 is a proper view of the events. We not only need to know a proper view of the living and the dead, but also a proper view of the events. He says in verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Look, I want you to see that, that this will be no slight thing. It's the Lord himself who came down. Now, remember the first time the Lord came down, of course, was when he came, he, he condescended. I don't, well, Nelson and I, Nelson and I love to, to pick on this, this translation, this uh, uh, paraphrase. The message says he moved into the neighborhood, he tabernacled among us. But you get the idea. Christ came to us, right? At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Galatians said, or Romans says, Galatians 4 says, at just the right time, he came to us. The Lord himself is coming. Notice he doesn't send his angels ahead of him necessarily. It's the Lord himself who will descend. Guys, that comes in power. The essence of false religion is when we try to make our way to God, but God is different. He came down to us. And we don't return to him unless he allows us to return to him. You could be alive at this point. You could be dead at this point. We don't know. What matters is this. It's the Lord who is coming. The Lord who's coming. He's not sending one of his lackeys to come. He himself is coming. And I want you to know this is going to be no peaceful thing. Did you notice that threefold emphasis here? It's basically saying the same thing. The cry of command the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God. What is he saying? This is going to be so majestic, so loud. Somehow the Lord is going to be gloriously visible to all people. He's not coming in secret. This is not Jehovah's Witnesses theology meets good biblical theology. When Jesus comes, it's going to disrupt your life. Even more so, it's going to disrupt your eternity. When he comes, the heavens will be split. When he comes, you will know. When he comes, everything is going to be different. And Christian, you're going to immediately, you're going to know. And if you're not a Christian, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, whether under the earth or in the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians chapter 2. He's coming. All our attention will be turned heavenward. You know, I'm a big fan. I'm a sci-fi guy. It drives my wife nuts. But I'm a big fan of Independence Day, the original Independence Day movie, 1996. It's really scary how many of you all really like that movie. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Geeks unite, right? You know, my, I got my pocket protector. I'm just kidding. But you understand, when that movie came out, if you remember that movie, if you haven't seen the movie, these big alien ships come and they open the lights open and everyone looks up, you know, and it's all there. And then the, they realize they're not peaceful beings. They're coming to destroy the earth and harvest the earth. And, well, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I've seen enough times. But... When they look up, all their gaze is there. And I have that picture because that's how many people will see the coming of Christ. There is going to be a, a shock and awe. But just like those people in Independence Day, when that, I know it's a weird analogy, when that alien ship came and actually did what it came to do to destroy, their faces went from awe to this is really happening. Friends, on that day, Christians are going to rejoice. But non-Christians, their worst nightmares are literally going to come true. Because he comes in power. He doesn't come to play with army toys. He comes to return what is rightfully his, his bride, his church. And he's coming to do what he said he would do, which is to, to put the unbelievers in hell and redeem the believers to heaven. If that bothers you, it should. Because if you're not a Christian, that is really what life is about. Do you know Jesus or do you not? But he's coming, and you're going to know about it. That's why you, you hear these people who say, well, Jesus came on this part of the world at this date, at this time. If Jesus actually came, you will know it. And he's coming in power. What an amazing God we serve. Every other religion bows to this point. 
Jesus is the only one who's risen, and he's risen indeed, and he's coming again indeed. Amen? And that's what we know. Look at verse 17. He tells us here that not only there will be an outcome of this, again, we don't have time to mind everything of this. There's so much written on these verses, getting the highlights. He says, but at the end of verse 16, he says, the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the second time he's mentioned that. End of verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. What is he saying here? He's saying three things, that we'll be caught up, literally translated snatched, we'll be snatched up, we'll be raptured, to use a more common church term. We will meet the Lord in the air, and we'll always be with the Lord. Let's break these out. I want to be very clear here. You can hold to various views of the end times and still be correct. Do you see this? There are some who hold to a, a, to a we'll call it a, a left-behind series theology. If you're not sure what left-behind series is, go to any dime and nickel store, and you probably pick up the whole series for a dollar, because they're mass-produced and oversold. Great books. There are some who believe that at this point, that Christians' clothes will literally fall to the ground, and they will be sucked up into the air. There are some who believe that that won't happen until about three and a half years into the tribulation period. There are some who believe that at the end of the tribulation, that all that Revelation is about, that that will happen. But here's one thing we agree on. God is going to do it. That's what we know. You can nuance this all day, but I will say just as a side note, the rapture theology did not really start until a man named Charles Finney, and you can look him up. Charles Finney and, and Darby and all these guys started in the late 1870s. For 1,800 years, that was never part of a major theolog theological thing, but it's now a part of most theological frameworks. So here's what matters. He's coming again. Did you get that? He's coming, guys. And the main point here is not that we're raptured, but we get to meet and greet our Lord. That's it. That's the main point of this passage. It's not a matter of, uh, you know, if someone's driving a car and they're a Christian and they get raptured out, what's going to happen to their car? That's a great question. But I don't think that's what Paul had in mind here. He had in mind that Jesus is gloriously, victoriously coming back for his own. And that's it. Someday, whether you're a pre-tribulation person, a mid-tribulation person, use these theological words, or, or, or a post-tribulation period, you're going to be raptured. That's what it's about. And you're going to be resurrected. You're going to have a new body. Your sin will be away, done away with. Your sickness gone. You'll be able to worship Christ purely as you desire that you cannot do here on this earth. That's what matters most, and I want you to see that. Many of us don't feel the stake of our king's victory. We want the salvation, but we really don't know what he's won for us. Guys, he's won everything. The victory is ours. What hope do we have in this world? We have all hope in this world because the victory has already been sealed. It is finished. The gospel informs end times theology. Go back to verse 14. It's a call for us to rejoice. We will always be with the Lord. Notice he doesn't say there, he doesn't say there that if you're not good enough in heaven, if you don't bring enough stuff to heaven, that you're going to be kicked out or somehow Jesus looks at you and say, how did you get in here? Run, get out of here. You're not part, supposed to be part. All those who know Jesus will be with Jesus. All those who've trusted Jesus will be with Jesus. Well, Darren, what about those people you know, around the world who've never heard the gospel before? What about those people out in the, the, the jungles of the Amazon or down in Southeast Asia where they have thousands of islands? You know, Darren, wasn't there a young man who got killed a couple Thanksgivings ago trying to reach uh, an island of people? Yes. God, we believe, guys, we believe God is sovereign, isn't he? 
We believe God knows those who are his. That's what the scripture says. Christ will not return any moment sooner until everyone who he has called will be brought into his kingdom. That's what the scripture tells us. Now, do we know when that last person is? No, we don't. We have no idea. But what we know is this. Everyone who's supposed to be in heaven and will be in heaven because they've trusted in Christ and Christ alone. But you need to understand, don't get so in a flurry with these details that you miss the very point of what Paul is saying. Paul did not nuance every detail of theology of of the end times for them. What he emphasized is this. He's coming back for you. You're going to meet him, and he's never going to let you go. That's what he emphasized. Because back in that church, they were all doing this to each other about the end times. And instead, he said, focus on Christ. And if you do that, that's what's going to matter most. And he tells you, look at the end of verse 18. He tells you what this is for. He doesn't say fight over these words. He doesn't say divide over these words. He doesn't say you have this camp, you have this camp, you have this camp. Notice what he says. Look back at verse 18. Good Bible study always asks that word, doesn't it? Look at verse 18. What's the first word you have there? Therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? Encourage one another with these words. Oh my goodness. Do you know what splits churches most often in most recent days? It's mask or no mask, vaccines, no vaccines. Do you meet? Do you not meet? That Yeah, that's real and behind. Color the carpets in there. Yeah, that's, that's true. Those stories happen. Lots of things. But do you know what also one of the number one things that splits churches is? It's overzealousness about a particular view of the end times that overwhelms the event that happened one time. When Jesus Christ came, he came to die once for all. But some churches get so into the return of Christ that they miss the love one another passages, they miss the care for one another passages that he says here. The end time should be an encouraging conversation we have with each other. It should not be a sword fight to see who has the best view of when Jesus is coming back based upon the signs of the times. Do you see that? You say, Darren, I don't know any church that's split. Well, uh, Pastor Craig and I served at a church, and, 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 and that family is still at the former church where this man served locally. And I've shared this story, it's been a few years ago, where he served at a local church, local Baptist church, a longer Baptist church, where the pastor came to him and said, such and such, he was on staff, I know the exact date, time, and place where Jesus is going to return. No, he was not a Mormon. No, he did not live in downtown Independence. You know that, if you know the spiral and all that stuff. This pastor was so adamant that he knew when Christ was going to return that he led his congregation to believe that. The church ended up splitting because this pastor was so adamant. Guess what? That date passed. Christ did not return on that date. Thankfully, that man left that church and came to the church where we served at. They're still serving there. It's been 10 years ago that May 25th, 2011 was supposed to be the date that Jesus Christ returned. Do you remember that? Oh, wait, was that 2012? The Mayan calendar, right? What does Paul say here? He says to encourage one another with these words. We need to look at the end times. We need to be excited about it. But if they're not encouraging you to seek after Christ with one another, then perhaps we're doing it wrong. Guys, what's our purpose today? He's coming again, amen? Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray together. A proper view of God's ordination at the end is simply this. He is coming again. 
Paul had to tell a church that was so excited about it not to not be excited about it, but keep it in proper view. And so too, we need those words today. Let's pray. We're going to sing one last song together. After that last song, we're going to ask everyone just to take a few minutes to come outside, and we're going to dedicate our babies outside as we do. Guys, it's so good to see you. Let's pray together, and may God be glorified. Let's go before our Lord. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, this is your word. We come before it. As we get ready to sing our last song in Christ alone, Lord, we are reminded that this is not Buddha coming back or Muhammad. This isn't some uh, Hindu, Krishna, reincarnated life thing. This isn't uh, the stars aligning at the right point necessarily, Lord, secular things, though you will do that in Revelation in your own way, Lord. This is your son coming back, the second person of the Trinity, the risen Savior, the one who created all things and holds all things and, as Colossians says, is supreme above all. Yet, Father, we worship you, Son. We worship you, Spirit. We worship you, the one God in three persons, the blessed Trinity. Father, we look forward to the day when we try in our finite minds to unravel all this because we know even in heaven you will show us that from one glory to the next we can never solve you. We can never pin down every nuance of your character, Lord. But this one thing we know, you have not left us here you are coming again. Give us excitement through that. Give us temperance through that. Give us focus with that. But Lord, may our evangelistic fervor for sharing Jesus Christ be even more because of that. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Brother Craig.